AI is not a social species. We have inherently certain capabilities that is hard to imagine AI will have. And I think we should nurture those skills. I would still bucket those as durable skills. Communication, collaboration, creative thinking. In schools, we often assess students on their ability to explain something, describe something, um, summarize something. Those are all skills that ChatGPT does much better than any human. So we have to figure out unique skill sets that students have. Hello, everyone. Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Wise On Air coming to you live from WISE 11 Summit. This is a show where we talk to the world-leading minds on the future of education. My name is Elias Felful, and I will be your host for this first conversation. In a time when artificial intelligence is reshaping the world as we know it, what are the key skills that are essential to not just survive, but thrive as a human beings? The OECD's 2023 Skills Outlook highlights that it's not just about technical skills anymore. Skills like resilience, critical thinking, and deep understanding of ethics have been and will become more paramount than ever. These skills are vital to navigate the complexities introduced by AI and the digital revolution. The demand for human beings equipped with these abilities is not just growing, it's transforming the very nature of work and education. But should we consider such skills to be future-proof, or should we be focusing on something else? To answer this, I am joined by two esteemed guests, Kian Katanfurush, founder and CEO of AI skills platform Workera and a computer science lecturer at Stanford, who brings a unique perspective from the, de- from the forefront of AI development and technology. Joining him, Mary Burns, a seasoned educator and innovator in technology-enhanced learning. With her extensive experience across continents, Mary has a profound understanding of how technology impacts education at every level, from policy to practice. Together, they will help us navigate this new era, pinpointing in their views what are the essential skills needed to adapt in an AI-centric future. Kian and Mary, thank you so much for for joining us today at the WISE Summit, and more specifically, at the first episode of WISE On Air. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I want to start with uh, this question. I want to get a sense uh, of uh, both of you coming from this kind of field. And I want to know, at your personal level, what is your relationship with AI right now? And how often you use it for uh, work, pleasure, uh, and, and, and lifestyle, generally speaking? And I would love to start with Mary. Um, well, thank you, everyone. And I just want to say good morning. Assalamu alaikum to everyone who's here, including those of you behind me. I'm sorry you have to look at my back. Um, Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Uh, I use it in a variety of ways, I guess. I think the first way would really, that I did for, you know, since since we really started hearing about uh, generative AI back in, I'd say, February, for me anyway, um, is kind of my own exploration of it, just kind of uh, brute forcing it with all kinds of questions and ideas, et cetera, to see how it worked. So that, you know, kind of familiarization. And then I, I've moved on to using it for my own productivity. So uh, I design, design a lot of online courses. So just I throw out ideas to it. I use it as a copy editor uh, for my writing. Sometimes I run writing ideas by it. Um, I used it a lot uh, in learning Portuguese. I live in Portugal. And so it was my Portuguese tutor, even though I was taking classes with real live human beings who hopefully are not listening to this podcast. Um, 
So, you know, for my own use, um, more personal use, I think um, a third way is along this kind of continuum of uses is now more for instruction. Um, I work at a teacher education college, um, Escola Superior de Paulo Frasinetti in, in Porto, and I'm working with teacher educators, and I'm actually uh, running a number of workshops, helping them understand AI and understand how to use various tools. And the last way, and I haven't started this, but I really want to before I leave my present position, which will be in six months, is to um, really help the school uh, reflect on it, because I don't think AI is on a lot of schools' radars right now, and I'm not sure it's on ours. And I think we need to start thinking about what this means for the work that we do and guidelines to, that we need to develop for appropriate use. Yeah, we'd love to deep, deep uh, uh, more in, into this um, relationship with AI in schools and why it's not yet at, at, at the level of all the learners. But before that, Kian, what is your relationship with, with AI? You are immersed in this. So yeah. tell us a little bit more about your own personal uh, usage. Yeah, my, my personal usage of AI starts with work. Uh, I'm not a native English speaker, um, So I don't write like someone who was speaking and writing since an early age. And AI obviously helps me at work, uh, draft emails, write Slack messages, write product requirements that look like I was a native English speaker. Um, and that's good. Uh, the second one is probably if I'm coding, uh, I use uh, AI to help me autocomplete code. So generate code uh, uh, that is um, uh, format code, comment code, uh, maybe Uh, uh, help me work with data a little more effectively by, you know, transforming the data in a way I want, uh, simply using natural language rather than coding queries. Um, and so there's a variety of coding tasks that go under this. Uh, from a lifestyle perspective, uh, I, I use uh, AI par partly and predictive analytics. I guess AI is a very big word. I have this, this sleep tracker that I always wear. And it helps me uh, keep myself... Uh, That's uh, the one that... Uh, that, that, that this, is, this is how you track that you didn't sleep the week of open AI. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, madness. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I lost a little bit of sleep on that weekend, but who didn't? <laughs> uh, yeah. And then from a, from a learning perspective, I mean, using Workera myself to test my skills, predict my skills, understand where I am, benchmark myself. And there's a ton of AI going into skills assessment. So that's another third usage. And, and so far, when we say you use AI, are we talking about one particular platform? Or, or, or there's many tools you're... you're, you're, you're so probably most of us are using OpenAI ChatGPT. Are we talking about that particular app or, or there's other tools that us, we don't know about it for, for now? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a ton, and, and Mary, I'm curious to hear from you, but, you know, I think language models are uh, the hype right now, so we're all using ChatGPT. Maybe some of us are using Claude, Anthropic, Inflection, Perplexity, if you want sources. Uh, but there's also other usages of AI that are completely blended in our life. When you use Maps, Google Maps, to navigate, or when you use Uber, there's a ton of AI going behind the scene that tells you if you need to turn right or left in the next intersection. Uh, when, when you are... Uh, 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 you know, working on your productivity, uh, there's a ton of AI algorithms that are going to notify you, send you, send automatic emails, nudges in the case of education for students. And those are sort of behind the scenes using uh, uh, algorithms, uh, but, but people don't think about them as AI uh, immediately. And for, in education, um, we've, all, we've used AI for quite some time. I mean, probably most well known is an intelligent tutoring system. So that's, uh, A predictive AI, but for the educators in the room or those listening, 
I mean, there's a ton of tools that incorporate generative AI, generative AI, excuse me. Um, and am I allowed to mention brand names or I guess I guess I can. I mean, there's there's uh, there's there's a ton of them. I mean, there's things that will synthesize research for you, yeah. things like elicit and consensus. Um, there's incredible unit planners and um, uh, lesson plan generators. But they're more than that because they have a really explicit pedagogical framework and they really help people through instructional design. So I think of something like Magic School, EduAid, which is something that I use and I really like, unfortunately, and now costs money. Um, you know, generative AI, I use Perplexity. I've used BART a little bit. Um, ChatGPT, I would say anyone I've worked with who knows AI at all, they know ChatGPT. And I spend probably most of my time with teachers helping them through with ChatGPT. Um, but there's just so many things. There's I do online learning, so there's tools that take images and turn them into talking head videos. I mean, there's things that will synthesize your voice and create a reproduction of voice. It's just extraordinary, the proliferation of um, AI-embedded tools that are out there. Right? They're using generative AI, um, and they're pretty extraordinary. And, and, and they're at early stage, um, which yeah. is, I think, even more interesting. That's a great segue, actually, to my next question, which is I, I want to hear the perspective of the educators and the founder about um, how we should utilize, uh, utilize AI in education and uh, where do we stand with the potential benefits, trade-off, uh, challenges uh, by integrating AI in, in our education uh, systems. And I, I'd love to start with you, Mary. Um, you know, it's where we are in terms of schools. Um, it's too, that's a really broad question. I'll say that for the Global South, um, you know, this is a very rarefied conversation. We may be nowhere because people don't have access to electricity, never mind computers and AI. But, you know, in the wealthier parts of the world um, or more where we have better resources, uh, you know, it really runs a gamut from teachers who have no idea what AI is. Um, they've never, I can't believe this, but people still haven't heard of it. Um, something like ChatGPT to people who kind of know what it is and are overwhelmed to real power users. Um, but I would say that um, when I have uh, been talking to teachers and working with teachers, you know, we tend to use it. They'll tend to use it sort of as a coach to help them. Um, they'll use it as a tutor. Uh, they'll help use it kind of as a co-developer or a co-instructional planner. They're really approaching AI as a learner. And, you know, I think that's where we need to be using it. I think those are the ways that we need to be using it. I mean, it's a tremendous assistant. Um, what I would um, hope that we, you know, it, it can help us generate content, lesson plans, assessments, skills assessments. Uh, it can do, you know, I just see the potential for... Um, tutoring and really personalized tutoring for students where we shouldn't be using it is the um is really to produce inappropriate content to cheat to plagiarize um and um i don't think uh, i hope the teachers wouldn't use it as as kind of the lead author of all their um instructional design and teaching and um but we do i see that i see that now I'm, I'm, I'm as concerned as you when it comes to the global south and, and the gap. Are we, are we seeing potentially this technology bridging the gap and closing the, this, this gap between the, the, the differences we see in the global north and global south? You know, I think it can. Um, I think, you know, Kian, you know better than I. I, I you know, I think, so I, I look back at the idea, if we remember um, 12 years ago, the whole MOOC hype. Um, you know, MOOCs were also a media sensation, just like AI, generative AI is a media sensation. And if we remember, you know, Thomas Friedman had this, this, the famous article about 
a kid in a slum in Mumbai will be able to get a Harvard education. And what happened then was that MOOCs, they were promised to be free and open to anyone, and they really changed their business model. And I think what MOOCs are known for now is, A, having really large numbers of students, B, for prodigious rates of dropout, and three, I think kind of a a, a broken promise business model. Mm. And I think if if something like generative AI, some of these keystone applications remain free, um, then there's the issue of getting people technology, electricity, and internet yeah. access. But I do, yeah. I do think that it can begin to make some dents in the digital divide. You can have, provided, you know, the language models are in languages people speak, and I've only used it in two languages. So, uh, you, you know, you can have kind of personalized tutoring. You can have um, universities start to take AI and incorporate it into online learning, which is something I do. And without having to buy new expensive platforms, et cetera, and hopefully pass on those savings, I think, to to students and to low-income students in particular so they have access to improved educational opportunities. So I think the potential is there. Kian, you're 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 a founder, but you also you're 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 an instructor at at a at a very prestigious university. So you you see both kind of uh, uh, perspectives. How do we get the best out of this tool to to yeah to, to go to the learners and and what are some of the challenges? And if you go back to yeah. your student, yeah, you know, ten years ago, and you had these tools, would have been made a difference in your own uh, journey. Yeah, I, I, I talk about the use cases of AI that I'm seeing and I'm very bullish on it. And then I actually address the question of uh, of MOOCs. I think it's a very interesting one, but uh, I'm very bullish on AI. I see a lot more benefits than harms in using it. Uh, and that's my opinion. I would, I would bucket when it comes to education into three categories, the innovations that can come from AI. The, the first one is related to skills. Um, AI will help us measure skills like never before. Uh, today, uh, we can use AI to predict someone's skills at an incredible level of accuracy, something that was not possible before. I'll give you a simple example. Um, we've run millions of measurements across the globe, and uh, there's so much data into those benchmarks that if I know that, Elias, you can do two times two equal four, I can predict probably 50 skills around it. I can predict you, you know how to do 2 plus 2 equal 4. I can predict you can do 2 minus 2 equal 4 with a high probability. You may be able to do square root of 9, but I will probably need a question of higher difficulty to figure this out. Long story short, in one hour, I will be able to uncover maybe a thousand skills of yours. It was not possible before, thanks to those cross-correlation and semantic connections between skills. That's the first bucket, understanding people at a deep granularity, strength, gaps, skills. The second one is in mapping skills to contents. You know, for a long time, uh, we had issues to personalize learning because there was uh, no in- information on skills and then contents were completely not aligned with skills. Today, AI can help us scan through large bodies of content, understand which content covers what skills, what are the quality levels of that content, and then you can do an effective mapping for personalized learning. And the third bucket is delivery of content. Today, chat-based interfaces, video generation, image generation, allow us to embed immersive experiences to deliver that content in a way that is much more interactive for the students. And that will have an impact on engagements. And then this takes me to the discussion around MOOCs. The premise of MOOCs was that self-directed learning will work, that you can give 
100,000 classes to someone and suddenly they will be a great learner. It's akin to thinking that giving a gym to someone will make them a bodybuilder, which is absolutely not true. Yeah. And so today we're, we're seeing, and I'm seeing it firsthand in enterprises and governments, self-directed learning does not work. We're going back to top-down learning. We're going back to setting goals for students, telling them that they need to reach deadlines, they need to reach certain scores, and we're going to measure them against those. And those are uh, uh, approaches that take a ton of incentives and open up opportunities for students and, and workers in companies. You reach a certain score and you get access to a project. You become a mentor. You get actually a cash reward for reaching a certain score in an enterprise. And I think that's where learning is going to go more top-down incentive-driven rather than bottoms-up, self-directed, without much incentives to, to, to learn. If I stay with you, Kian, what are the key skills that are imperative for the next generation? Well, you've been mentioning skills yeah, like I mean, powerfully. I'll tell you my opinion. Uh, I, I, I would say two things mainly, and the second one I'll break it down. But uh, what I want from my own employees at WorkEra, I, I wish that when they come to the workforce, they have the learning mindsets to run the marathon of learning in life. They love to learn. They are happy to learn. And that, that's a skill. And the second thing is I want them to be sprinters. I know that next year there will be a new chat GPT. There will be a new innovation. I know there's going to be so much to learn. And I want them to be able to sprint. And sprinting uh, takes durable skills. If you want to sprint in a technical area, you need to have foundational math, algorithms, coding. You need to have probabilities and statistics to a certain level. You cannot understand transformer-based architecture. Those are the architectures behind ChatGPT. You cannot understand the original paper if you don't understand math or statistics. So who's going to build those systems if you don't have the foundational skills? So the durable skills matter because they allow you to learn perishable skills on the job. And we can take care of teaching perishable skills to employees. The second aspect of it is what's really human-specific. It is, uh, a, we're a social species. AI is not a social species. We have inherently certain capabilities that is hard to imagine AI will have. And I think we should nurture those skills. I would still bucket those as durable skills. Communication, collaboration, creative thinking. Uh, uh, and all of those are things that matter and will be necessary for the future, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Mary, would, would you add, complement, remove um, some of the things that Kian just mentioned. I, I you know, approach it a, a little bit differently because I work with a different audience. So that would be teachers and teacher educators. And I would say really right now in the age of generative AI, um, I, I'd mention four things. I'll try to be brief. And, and the first, I think, really is the teachers have to have uh, really deep expertise in their content areas um, because we have never really seen anything before that is this generative, that is, that produces such vast, um, complex amounts of information. And so I think as a teacher, you really have to know your content very broadly and deeply, A, so you can kind of validate and verify the information that's being presented by something like ChatGPT. I think, um, you know, B, so you can assess the quality of responses. C, basically, so you can stay ahead of the application, if, if that's even, I, it's not possible, but, you know, at least keep some pace with it. And um, I, I, as part of that, you really have to, you can't teach everything anymore. You really have to focus on what are the most important topics of your domain to help students grasp, because the rest they can get from something like a ChatGPT, you know, what to teach and how to teach it. So I think that's that's just the content. Number two, I, I think... Um, 
teachers have to understand the technology. They don't have to know, you know, all the particular skills that Kian mentioned, but I think they have to be able to use the technology, kind of understand the conceptual design behind it, and then approach it. They don't have to be experts in it, but I think they have to be comfortable enough, as um, Kian mentioned, it's going to be continuously adapting. And get really harness the technology so that um, they can use it in ways to get the very best learning out of students and they can use it for instructional planning and use it in ethical ways. The third area, I mean, you, you mentioned this um, about the skills assessment, uh, Kian, and I think is the area of assessment because schools, regardless, are very assessment driven. And um, now we have something that really can actually, um, you know, solve math problems and physics problems and translate into foreign languages. So how do you measure student skills to make sure that, A, they're learning, and B, that you can really validate um, the authenticity of their learning? Because that's what schools are tasked to do. We have to show that if you got this degree, you really do, you've met certain criteria. And um, I think one is we have to help teachers really figure out how to do different types of assessments. Um, I know that the the tools can do the assessment, but I'm not talking about that as much as I'm talking about things that are much more performance-based, um, things that maybe where students are using primary sources. Because in schools, we often assess students on their ability to explain something, describe something, um, summarize something. Those are all skills that ChatGPT does much better than any human. So we have to figure out unique skill sets that students have um, and the fourth one, I'll, I'll move on because I know I'm talking too much, is um, I really think we need some kind of vigilance um, around it. Some humans that are, are kind of generative in their own way so that um, I am not turning over everything to this uh, large language model. But in fact, I'm kind of asserting my own preeminence over it and I'm still in charge of the learning process. No, I'd love to stay with you actually because this. Sorry, that was very long. No, 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 no. That was that was excellent. You, your third point were 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 mentioning that the ChatGPT can do a bunch of things. So, what what are some of the uh, uniquely human and impossible for, to to AI to to replicate basically that we should focus on maybe uh, in the future for even even as in our education system we should maybe teach. Yeah, I, I think, you know, again, um, you know, critical self-reflection, the human skills that Keanu was mentioning, the, you know, empathy, um, the ability to kind of understand the perspective of someone who's different from you, which is really foundational to functioning societies and functioning teams and schools and love and friendship, etc. Um, so I think those are really important skills. Uh, you know, there's applications like Replica that are, are trying to mimic those in some ways. Um you know what's interesting? Do we need enough for that? <laughs> yeah, so unfortunately, some people do. Um, but I, I don't think we're going to learn those skills from a ChatGPT. But yeah. I, you know, I'll say just to show myself as the true dinosaur that I am. You know, to get those skills, what do we need? I think we we need to go back to some of these subjects that we jettisoned because of coding and the sciences. Um, things like you know, language and literature and foreign languages. I mean, there's research that shows if you. If you read a novel, you're more empathetic than someone who doesn't. There's nothing more higher level or critical thinking than analyzing a poem. I mean, understanding the conflicts of today re requires uh, history. And I'd go back even further and say, you know, we chucked a lot of the old traditional canon, you know, rhetoric and composition and philosophy. And, and in some ways, those are the things um, that are really essentially human. You yeah. know, what makes is the Stoics, what makes virtuous people. So, you know, we're not going to get that from a large language model. I do think we're going to get it. I would like to see us return to this in terms of schools. But, you know, we also need communities involved. We need 
parents involved. We need the workplace involved. We can't foist all of this responsibility onto a group probably of something that the teachers. global north can learn from the global south. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, moving to you, Kian, I, I'd love to hear your perspective on what are some of the things that you know not going to be replaced by by AI, and and we should maybe you know, make sure we keep uh, the importance of them. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's going to change over time. More and more things will be achievable by AI and not anymore uniquely human. Yeah. Uh, I think on the short term, the, the, the way I look at it is one of the first revolution will be if you imagine that all the data in the world is contained in a circle, AI is operating in that circle. It is really good at extrapolating within that circle. So AI has seen linear algebra and it has seen Japanese, and it can teach linear algebra in Japanese. That's extrapolation. That will allow us as humans to focus on the edge of the circle, actually build a workforce that can extend that circle. Things on the edge of that circle are areas that are cutting edge. They're quantum physics, they're you know, cybersecurity, they may be AI, they may be some of these areas that we want to improve uh, in order to benefit humanity as a whole. So that's the first regime, where build a workforce focused on the outer circle. Um, At some point, AI is going to become much more effective at generating its own data, experiences, and learning from those experiences, which means AI will be able to operate on the edge of that circle. It will be able to expand the circle. Then what do we do as humans if AI can do that? Um, I think the first range of things will be humans are uniquely qualified to decide what to do. Not necessarily to do, but to decide what to do, and AI will do. Deciding what to do requires goal-setting capabilities, requires moral understanding, ethical understanding that AI probably will not have anytime soon. And so that's the first range. If we look even longer term, I think we may be surprised at certain skills that AI will be able to perform that may be creative thinking, that may be a better understanding of ethics and morals uh, than many of us. Uh, uh, because of the amount of data and the amount of feedback that the AI system will require. So long, long term, I don't really know what, what we will uh, 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 not delegate to AI. You know, oh, wow. For sure, uh, procreation, I think, <laughs> is a hard one for AI directly case. But, uh, stop, right, stop right there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go into that, that, that discussion. But um, yeah, I, I, short, long story short, I feel like uh, understanding of ethics, morals is uniquely human. Uh, social interactions are uniquely human, although I would imagine that AI will get better and better in that area as well. Also. All right, staying on this point, because that's like we're, we're, we're very futuristic now. What, what, uh, what should be the role of AI developers uh, in guiding ethical and responsible uh, you know, algorithm develop, uh, uh, yeah, development of, of, of these tools? And can, can how much we control that, uh, that very futuristic vision you just, you just uh, described? Yeah, I mean, first AI developers... Or maybe not even very futuristic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, very futuristic, again, I, I'm speculating, I don't know what's yeah. going to happen, but, uh, uh, you know, AI developers come in variety of flavors. You know, if you look in a company, you have AI developers that are belong to the center of excellence. They're the ones that are responsible to educate the rest of the company about practical, ethical, uh, responsible uses of AI. They're also building the tools and infrastructure that others will use in the company. And then you have AI developers that are deployed in certain teams. They may be mechanical engineers that have learned AI. They may be electrical engineers that have learned AI. They may be lawyers that have learned AI. There are still AI developers because they build applications on top of AI to their subject matter expertise. Two-thirds of my students at Stanford are non-computer science students, even if it's a graduate class in the computer science department, which is crazy. 
and they are from all these majors and they're building applications. And so the responsibilities will be different whether you are in one group or the other. Uh, if you're at the application level, you need to make sure just as any technology, not only AI, that what you're building is ethical, is responsible, is not harming. You've run security checks. You've run checks to make sure that uh, you're being unbiased, you're being moral. You know, yeah. there's a ton of things to do. When you're in the center of excellence, when you're building, you know, potentially foundation models, you know that you're not building the application. So your technology may be used in a harmful way if the others are not careful. Uh, but you still need to care about other issues. That is, are you introducing bias in those foundational models? Because if you're introducing bias in the foundational models, you're introducing bias at all applications that are using it. So it is exponentially more dangerous uh, uh, at that point. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I think it depends on where you are as an AI developer. I, uh, Mary, I, are you, are you, do you share this uh, point of view of, you know, we're getting to that uh, level and, and, and how much from your perspective of your experience also, you, we, can, we can guide these AI developers in how much the public policy uh, uh, stakeholders should be in the room uh, with, with these developers? Yeah, I mean, you know, this, that, that last question is a little beyond my pay grade, but I, I do think we've seen that it's, it's hard for companies to police themselves. You know, we saw that um, with the the whole Boeing thing a few years ago. So I, I, I do think governments are, I mean, I know the European Union is, and the, the Biden administration just released this executive order, oh, excuse me, on AI. My earpiece keeps falling out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, you know, to go back to Kian's point, I think from an educator perspective, and that's all I can talk from, is that, um, you know, we saw a couple of weeks ago, I think uh, the drama, the battle between kind of capitalist AI and ethical, responsible AI. And I would, um, it looks like, the capitalists have won for now. And I would just say in terms of education, it's really important to adopt an ethos of do no harm. And I think this is what you're mentioning, Kian. Excuse me, both my earpieces are now falling out. But um, so, and I think the first thing really in, in that is is um, that we want to build trust. Um, there's not a great deal of trust right now um, by educators. I'd say sometimes maybe the general public with a lot of tech companies. Um, a lot of So the first thing, what do we do? I, th- I think there has to be content moderation. I think we have to know that the information that we have is accurate and that it's correct. And and as part of that, we really need to know its provenance. And that's what you can't get with ChatGPT that you can get with something like Perplexity or Bard. You know, where did this information come from? From a 21-year-old's Reddit feed or, you know, a, a peer-reviewed journal? Um, I think the second thing that's a huge issue for schools is, is privacy. Yeah. Um, and especially, uh, you know, what data is being collected? Where is it being collected? Especially with predictive AI, um, how is it being used? What is it being used for? Is it being sold? Um, and then, you know, the third is data security. How is is especially really sensitive data, and especially in certain countries, how is that being? Is it protected? Is it encrypted? Is it stored? All the things I have to do for IRB when I do research. Uh, Kian mentioned bias, and that's a huge thing in education, um, especially in. You know, wealthy countries as our population, the student populations become more diverse, but certainly for the global south, people need to see themselves represented. And they often haven't traditionally in like text to images um, that are AI generated. So I think there's, um, you know, I could go on, um, but I'll stop there. I think there's, there is much work to be done in terms of building trust among lay users and the education public in terms of, especially these um, ed tech tools that are now AI embedded. In a, in a previous uh, uh, episode, 
uh, I think in, in April, we, we had a chance to uh, to speak with Sam Altman uh, when he was doing his world tour. And uh, so he expressed he, he expressed kind of optimistic view on, on, on these tools and prediction about AI. And he even claimed that it can uh, make us almost like super superhuman, 20 to 30x uh, more productive. So it can solve most of the problems society faces, uh, addressing poverty, climate change, uh, and produce much more productive knowledge workers. But what do you think about this claim? And do you think it's possible to reach those such hate? I can start. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, uh, I would not go to say that everything will be improved by a 20x, 30x uh, factor. But the way I look at it is the workforce has a lot of jobs. Jobs can be broken down into pieces that are tasks. So one job may have a thousand tasks attached to it. Each task is prone to a productivity boost, sometimes 10%, sometimes 0%. You know, if you think about electricians or plumbers, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that AI will be twisting that itself to go and fix a problem behind the sink. And so it's probably almost unchanged. Some tasks will be augmented heavily, 1 to 9x, 1 to 10x productivity improvements. Coding is an example. I think... We run our surveys that work here on the coder community, um, and we're seeing 3x productivity improvement on a variety of coding tasks. And then you have tasks that are automated, that is beyond 10x productivity improvements. And an example is, you know, document question answering. In legal tech, you can now answer questions on 200 pages documents yeah. in seconds, yeah. which is over 10x productivity improvements. And so when I look at a job, I break it down and I look at each task and I feel like 70% of those tasks are automated. That job is probably gone in the future. And that's probably one third of the jobs in our economy. Um, and that's numbers from uh, OECD, from OpenAI, uh, uh, all merging towards one third. You have jobs that are going to face 30 to 70% automation and they're probably not going to go away, but they're going to merge. You're going to see many jobs merging with each other. I take an example in, in marketing. You have content marketers that write blog posts that are going to be boosted and you have graphic designers that you know, draw and design uh, assets. Possibly these two will become one job because the two are so much boosted that you would expect one brain to be able to do both and it will, be, it will make sense actually. A lot of jobs are gonna merge, maybe one third of those jobs. And then you have one third of, of jobs that will remain unchanged probably. And then when I look at it, Still, I feel like there is more job creation than job loss because, you know, the, the macro environment is showing that populations are aging. There is going to be more need for healthcare workers. Uh, uh, E-commerce is going to drive jobs in transportation. Uh, uh, you know, even regulations, oftentimes people forget that they're the main drivers of jobs. Yeah. You know, GDPR a few years ago has driven a ton of jobs in Europe and beyond. And I think AI regulations will purposefully drive jobs in technology, in AI, cyber uh, security, data privacy will drive jobs into those areas. Even green technologies will force large uh, uh, conglomerate companies to turn their workforce into a green friendly workforce. And I think it's, it's actually the job of governments to think about those regulations, knowing what Sam Altman said about productivity improvements, to make sure we have a workforce for the future, for the good of humanity in the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mary, uh 20, 30 percent, 
What's um, your number? Uh, I don't have a number. I mean, I'm, I, I guess I'd like to address that question and focus on the problems. You know, I, I've been in educational technology a long time. I, I, I kind of joke that I remember Windows 3.1 yeah. and <laughs> the Unix operating system and <laughs> flying toaster screensavers. And, um, and I just feel like, uh, you know, with all due respect to people who, who know obviously quite a lot, um, like Sam Altman, like you, I, I would say that um, this is the kind of language where we, we traditionally assign greater agency to technology than it often has. Um, so just as an example, I, I think of the United States. We have probably the most technologically sophisticated healthcare system in the world, arguably. And our life expectancy is dropping because we have these diseases of uh, deaths of despair from alcohol, from drug abuse, um, uh, from overdoses, from sedentary lifestyles and unhealthy ways of living. We have the technology, but the technology cannot change human behavior. Um, and I, I think that the, we have seen tremendous, tremendous um, gains in productivity in terms of technology, but that every technology, um, for all its wonderful benefits, also has a duality and that it also has these negative externalities. And so I point to something like social media that can connect me with my students from Jamaica 40 years ago, but whose algorithms have now kind of pushed us into our own virtual realities that are echo chambers and that have led in its documents to everything from um, a diminishment in personal well-being of young people to you know, hordes of people trying to overthrow the United States government on January 6th. So I think the kind of, you know, hype and hyperbole and hubris sometimes that goes with statements like Sam Altman's, I mean, I think they're genuine, but I think over time we we discover what technology does, what it can't do, its negative direct and indirect externalities. And I think then we begin to approach it with, you know, kind of a fourth age, a little more um, humility. Staying with the same topic, uh, we we I think the same quote from from Sam Altman where he say many people even five years or ten years ago were predicting predicting that we will see more changes at the level of uh, robots driving uh, you know, trucks and all that, and we're far away from that. Actually, what happened is the opposite. It's it's everything related to creativity and cognitive, and we were predicting the opposite. We were predicting more automation. Uh, and, and less, you know, uh, impact on creativity. Why? What happened with those people who, you know, who who were just claiming, oh, we're, we're going to have truck drivers, robots. We're going to, and and it's completely the opposite happening. Now we're we're having we're having you know machines that are able to think faster than us. And I, I think it's both. I mean, the other night I was um, at the Madrid airport, and um, a little robot you know, zip through the airport and wash the floors and clean them. And I thought, you know, that's sad. Actually, that is a job for, um, that's why folks make the journey across the Sahara is to get a job like that. So I I think we're seeing robotics, um, you know, displace a lot of kind of manual labor type jobs. And as Kian mentioned, I mean, we're definitely seeing um, the things like generative AI that will replace, you know, the more, what is Larry Summers calls it, the cognitive class, you know, the kind of thinking, you know, things like I do, you know, writing, designing, uh, developing online courses, you know, sharing my opinions on things, uh, working in different languages. I mean, what we are seeing is that these models can do that 
uh, maybe not better at this point, but these are early days, but certainly with a certain level of um, acceptable quality. And I think that takes us back to the central issue in education that we're wrestling with is how do you, I mean, the essence of a teacher is to communicate content. And we have an interface that isn't so great right now, but in a few years when it's more voice activated with avatars, I mean, where's where's the, te- that's an existential threat to not primary school teachers, because they do something different, but certainly to upper level secondary and to university instructors. I'd love to hear your 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 insight, and 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 I have one more uh, question okay. uh, since they've been like showing me that we have only a few minutes left. Got it, got it. No, on on the the truck driver analogy yeah. and jobs moving, I I I feel like we just um, improve uh, virtual systems faster than physical systems, um, and it's true that many have had predicted that physical systems will improve so fast that robotics will be a threat uh, to many jobs. I think the timeline may be warped, but at the end of the day, the learning lesson for us people is we have to keep learning. Yeah. Because if it's not today, it's going to be tomorrow. Yeah. You know, Autonomous driving has taken time to come. It's still not. I've taken a few autonomous rides in San Francisco. It, it is going to come at some point. We just don't know when exactly. But the bottom line is we need reskilling. We will need to move people from one role to another at any point in time. You may be moving jobs 17 times in the next 10 years or 20 years. We don't really know the exact number, but we feel that the number of career transitions will augment drastically. And I, I tend to say that the number of career transitions that we would see in the next 15 years is more <coughs> than all the addition of career transitions we've seen to date in the history of humanity. And we have to be comfortable with it. Yeah. Uh, Just, I don't know when it will have happen. We just have to get, get ready to reskill people and, and enter that learning mindset as a, as a population. So what will be the last kind of core insight that you would want uh, the audience uh, today, but also the people that kind of listen to us need to remember and prioritize in an AI-driven world? And, I, and I, I'll, I'll start with you, uh, Kian. This is the last question. So what would be one thing, one core insight that people need to remember or prioritize in, in this new AI-driven world? To me, it applies to both individuals and organizations. It is a learning velocity is your competitive advantage. And that's pretty much it. That, that says it. It's learn, 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 yeah. accelerate your learning. And that's going to be the single driver of success in, in your life financially, You know, maybe from a fulfillment perspective, fulfilling uh, learning velocity is your new competitive advantage. Mary? Um, so I'm in education. I'll just go back to that. I, I think, um, you know, in 27 years working in a tech, I don't think I've ever seen anything that is this um, that can produce content so quickly and lesson plans and can personalize learning. Um, so I think this is really kind of a great leap forward for both technology and for education. So the question now that we have in light of this as educators is how do we, I think it's twofold, and one is how do we, um, excuse me, uh, interact purposefully and intentionally and uh, deliberately with this tool so that we can take what it does not Um, and not kind of give way to expediency where we just let, you know, we use its materials, but where we actually use this as an inflection point to really rethink education. You know, what is education in the age of AI and what is AI's role in education 
um, you know, what is it that we do and how do we teach and how do we help our students learn in ways um, that really kind of, you were talking about kind of the leading edge of the circle that pushed them past the leading edge of the circle. This is hard because it's a moving target. Um, and so I think, and, and I think this will require education systems to think more nimbly and in more divergent ways um, and, and more long-term than we have. But it's a really exciting time in education because I think it gives us time to start rethinking what we do and replanning, and I hope we take advantage of that. Thank you very much uh, Thank taking you these wise words at the WISE Summit. Uh, that has been a privilege to record this first episode of the WISE On Air here. Enjoy your summit, enjoy your uh, experience here, and uh, I hope we have another conversation soon. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, thanks, everyone, here. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.